Good morning, everyone. I just wanted to get out of the way, like straight off the bat. Yes, I did spill my morning coffee all over my dress. So um, if you could just excuse that, that would be amazing. But I hope you guys are doing well, um, and I hope that you've got all of your Christmas shopping done, because the shops are really starting to get that to that point where they have just become crazy. And for those of us with kids, and um, with the start of school holidays, I think that has become even a bigger challenge to contend with. For some of us, just the start of the school holidays are enough craziness without the worry of having to do Christmas shopping. And for me... And this year, with the start of the school holidays, I really have met them with much nervousness and apprehension. I've really felt quite overwhelmed and daunted every time the school holidays have started. And the reason for this mainly has been that we have really been struggling with our son Dylan over this past year. This parenting gig is really hard. It's seriously no joke. Um, And right from the start when Dylan was born, he was a dream baby. He ate well, he slept well, he was cute, he was cuddly. You could literally pass him to anyone. In this church, he would go to anyone. It was great. Like It's like we had no child. He really was the full package. But at the beginning of this year, something just began to change in his demeanor. He became really angry. He became really aggressive. He had like this foul mouth on him and would just say the most terrible things. We laugh about it now, but it was seriously bad. Um, And he just took a really terrible tone with Brendan and I. And so halfway through the year, July hit, and it was time for the July school holidays. And honestly, I was totally overwhelmed by this thought. I thought, how am I going to handle this child by myself for like a month? Um, And how was I going to handle his bad behavior? And it was hard. It was probably one of the most stressful times (laughs) of my year, just dealing with him at home all week by myself. Um, And so when the third term started, to be honest with you, I was completely worn out. I was exhausted. I was shattered. I I didn't really know what to do with myself. Um, And so the third term started, and I just felt like really sad and concerned. Probably above all else, my heart was just broken for this child who just seemed so angry and insecure, especially for a three-year-old. You just think, how has he gotten to this place? And so I started praying to God. I started crying out to him. I wanted, I just wanted to find out from him what was it that I could do to help Dylan with the place that he found himself in. And it was the third term, the first week back, and I remember on the Friday, the end of the week, dropping him off at school, and it was like something just clicked for me. It was like God showed or revealed to me exactly what the problem was, and I felt that God showed me that the problem was that it was the school that Dylan was at. It wasn't the right fit for him. It wasn't the right school for him. And so what I did was I literally raced home in my car, sat immediately down in front of my laptop, and I just began to research schools, schools that my friends' kids were going to, schools that I'd heard good reports about. And um, I began phoning them. I phoned about five or six different schools, and they literally all had the same answer. No, we don't have space this year. No, we don't have space next year. Our waiting lists are long, long, long. Basically, there's no hope for you. There's not a chance that Dylan will come to our schools. And about the seventh school that I phoned, they said, you know what, we don't have space, but why don't you just come and take a look around? So I thought, hmm, this could be a way in. Like, let me go and see what happens. So I got in my car immediately and went there. 
And when I arrived, the principal just greeted me at the door and she started to show me around. She showed me around the facilities. She explained to me how they go about teaching the kids, how they engage with them. And I just really fell in love with the school. I had this amazing sense of peace come over me that this was the perfect place for Dylan. I literally remember just actually feeling goosebumps come all over my body, like just that moment of like, this is it. So the principal took me through to the admin office and we had a chat with the administrations lady. And she said to him, okay, do we have anything this year for Dylan, next year for Dylan, in a younger class for Dylan, in an older class for Dylan? And she kind of just looked at us like, are you mad? Um, and immediately answered, no. Actually, we had a spot open up just this morning and it was filled instantaneously because that's how long our waiting list is and people want to get into the school. When I heard this, I honestly just felt devastated. It was like my heart dropped to the bottom of my body. It was like it wasn't even in my body anymore. And I began to cry. Um, now, when, maybe when you think of crying, you think like a few tears, like quiet crying, dab it with a tissue, it's all over. No, this wasn't what it was like. If you know me at all, and if you've ever seen me cry, it was more like a howling, wailing. You might, some people might even think it's laughing, like that's how ridiculous it is. It was loud. It was messy. It was snotty. It was just plain ugly and um, really embarrassing. And it was like I had this moment of involuntary vulnerability with these people that I had just met. I just had this complete and utter meltdown. Guys, it was seriously embarrassing. But um, I will never forget this moment. I don't think in my life I will ever forget this moment. The principal just pulling me aside and saying to me, can I pray for you? And um, I told her a little bit about Dylan's situation. And she said, um, she first of all, she prayed that God would actually come and heal his heart, that he wouldn't be so angry and wouldn't have so many insecurities. And secondly, she prayed that God would provide the perfect school for Dylan. And she really encouraged me to put my faith and trust in God in that situation. And um, just as she had finished, it was about time for me to go and fetch Dylan from school. So I hopped in my car and I drove, and it was about 20 um, or so minutes away. And as I got to the school, I looked down at my phone, and I had three missed calls on my phone, and it was from this other school. So I phoned them back straight away, and the principal comes on the phone, and she says to me, you're never going to believe this. As you left, a parent phoned into the school and said, we are suddenly immigrating. We need to take our child out of the school immediately. And Dylan can start school here on Monday, if he would like to. That was an impossibility. A, that a place arose. And secondly, that we were the ones to get it. You know, there was a waiting list. We jumped straight to the top of that list. God is amazing. He hears our prayers and he responds to them as only he can do. He is amazing, and prayer is powerful. I was just so amazed by watching God move through my prayer life from that initial request of asking him to firstly show me what was it that Dylan needed, and then secondly, to to just find the perfect place for my son to go. But trust me, not every day is like this for me. Not every day is filled with this passionate and ardent prayer that is met with God's speedy and quick responses, if only... But the reality for most of us in our prayer life is that this is not what we are experiencing on a daily basis, if at all. Some of us may have never experienced this in our prayer life. And if we are brutally honest with one another and with ourselves, 
for the majority of the time and for most of us, we find prayer incredibly boring or at least hard work. Or sometimes it can feel like a duty or a religious obligation instead of a feeling like these times where we are connecting and experiencing and encountering God and seeing the miraculous happen. It feels like hard work, so we put it off, we delay it, and then eventually when we do come to prayer, we can find that we are so easily distracted or that it's hard to focus in our prayer times. And I think part of these distractions come from digital distractions like our phone, our TV, um, online streaming, access to Netflix, and then secondly, that they come from our busyness. Our generation has more access to activity than ever before. Dinner, movies, events, gigs, all these things that we can attend that are so fun and so wonderful and in and of themselves are not bad, but leave us with very little time to spend in prayer. And besides that, maybe you're like me and maybe sometimes you doubt the power of prayer. You doubt the, um, that prayer has an ability to make a difference, that it has the ability to change anything. Sometimes you feel like you're just reading a shopping list to the sky. You don't feel like anything is happening or changing. And sometimes, maybe like me, when a prayer even gets answered, you almost have this like inner critic within you that goes, hmm, I wonder if that would have just happened anyway. Would Dylan have gotten into that school anyway? Was that God? Or was that a coincidence? I think most of us, whether consciously or subconsciously, whether we are followers of Jesus or not, at some point or another ask that question, is prayer really that powerful? Between distractions and busyness and doubting prayer and probably a million other reasons, the practice of prayer for um, followers of Jesus has become a weak point in their relationship with God. But we see in scripture that this is the center of Jesus's life with God. It was the biggest part of his day. He made time for it. He prioritized it. And not only did he prioritize it, but when we reach for the gospel, the gospels, we see that Jesus loved it. He enjoyed it. They were intimate times with God, his father, where he deeply experienced God and encountered God. In fact, we see that in everything that Jesus did, it was rooted in his prayer life and in his relationship with God. It was such a big part of his life that we see in Luke chapter 11 that Jesus' disciples ask him to teach them how to pray. And if, like me at times, you find that prayer is hard, it feels boring or like a duty or like a religious obligation or you doubt its power to do anything, then I think Jesus' prayer teaching from Luke 11 will really inspire you in your prayer life just as it has me. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 11, verse 1 to 4, and then uh, we skip a bit and go to 9 to 13, or you can follow on the screen behind me, I think. (laughs) But now it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Sorry. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, 
will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, the first word that comes out of his mouth is this word, Father. It's almost as if Jesus wants the disciples and he wants us to know that when we come to God in prayer, we come to him as a father. And this is significant. This really matters because who comes uh, into our mind when we think of who we are praying to? Uh, when we, sorry, let me explain that a bit better. Um, because when we come to God in prayer, what comes into our thoughts about who we are praying to has the ability to make or break our prayer life. John Tyson puts it like this, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you will never be drawn to prayer. What this means is, is that, for example, if you're thinking of God as this really grouchy, grumpy old man in the sky who's just angry at you, who's waiting to lay into you, to find fault with you, he's just waiting for you to approach him so he can ask you where you've been, why it's been long, so long since he's heard from you. Or if you are thinking of God as this high roller who's got a million better things to be doing, um, like really you're insignificant, you're not important, you're not a priority, you will never be drawn to prayer. You will never have this deep desire to pray. Why would you? Who would want to pray to a God like that? But if you think of God as your father, that is an entirely different story. When we come to pray and God is a father, we can come to him just as we are. We don't have to have our defenses up. We can put our guards down and pour out our hearts to him because we know that he only has good intentions towards us. And I do realize that maybe for some of us in this room, like me, you haven't had that great of an experience with your father. So maybe this is a little bit less appealing to you. Um, maybe your father's let you down or mistreated you or abused you um, or spoken to you badly. But the, the beautiful thing about God as our father is that he is altogether perfect and altogether trustworthy and that we can fully depend on him and he will not let us down. It says in verse 11, it says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the kind of father, this is the kind of God that we are praying to you praying to. He is genuinely, gen, genuinely excited and thrilled when we come to him in prayer. He is not absent or far away or disinterested, but he is close by. In fact, the reality is that there is no way that God is not. God hears our prayers and knows us intimately. And just um, straight after God, uh, Jesus throws out this word, Father, he says this phrase, hallowed be your name. And what this shows us about Jesus is not only does he come to God in prayer as a father, but he also has really an excellent view of who God is. That um, The word hallowed actually means to honor or to revere or to honor as holy. And so when Jesus prays to God and he says, Father, hallowed be your name, what he's truly saying is, Jesus, you are amazing. You are powerful. You are wonderful. There is no one like you. There is no one who parallels you. You are altogether beautiful. And Tim Keller says that to hallow God's name is to have a heart of gratefulness and joy towards God. And even more than that, a wonderful sense of his beauty. When we come to God in prayer, our thoughts about him, what we think about him, what, who we think he is, is so important because it has the ability to draw us into prayer, to create a desire in us to pray, or it has the ability to push us away from prayer. 
The next line in the scripture when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray is, your kingdom come. So here Jesus is also teaching his disciples and us to pray that God's kingdom would come to earth. Why would Jesus do this? Because Jesus believes that our prayers can make a difference. Jesus knows that one of the main ways that God's kingdom will come to earth is through our prayers. In other versions of the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Your prayers change reality and can usher the kingdom of God to earth. But for a lot of us, deep down in our hearts, we honestly, truly don't fully believe this. In today's culture, we're almost taught to believe in fate, that whatever will be, will be, with or without our prayers. But Luke 11 shows us that Jesus believes that our prayers can change circumstances, they can change situations, that our prayer requests can either make things happen or they can make things not happen. The idea that everything would happen exactly the way it was always going to, with or without our prayers, if that statement was found to be true, would render prayers utterly useless. Dallas Willard says, God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayers when he is only going to do what he was going to do anyway. When we pray before God, when we come to him as our father with our prayer requests, we can come with a faith and an expectation that our prayers are going to change reality, or at least they have the very potential to do so. We can partner with um, the spirit of God in bringing the kingdom of God to earth. I think part of our struggle with truly believing in the power of prayer and that it can make a difference and change things is that we don't know what to do with this question of unanswered prayer. In Luke 11 verse 9, it says, Ask me anything and it will be given to you. Really, Jesus, we can ask you anything and it will be given to us. So on this basis, we pray to God for faith and faith and expectation that God will move in our lives and things will happen. But the reality is that sometimes our prayers go unanswered. And what do we do with that? Because that is a hard and difficult reality that most of us, if not really all of us, will face in our lifetime. And I think that this is such a complicated topic, um, answering this question of unanswered prayer, that in a sense, in one short little snippet in a preach, I can't nearly begin to give it justice or to answer it fully. I think it would take probably several preachers to kind of tackle this one. So maybe Grant can do that for you at a later stage. But um, I do think very often people are quick to respond to that question of unanswered prayer with this cliche of, you know, God is always answering our prayers with a yes, no, or maybe. So just wait, we'll see what happens. But in all honesty, I really do believe that sometimes it can be a little bit more complicated than that. And recently we purchased a new home, and we did this without a subject to sale. So what that means is we still had our old house, which we hadn't sold, and we kind of needed the money from that house to be able to buy the new house, but we bought it without this clause. And um, I really believe that our house would sell like this, like I had faith it was going to sell in a couple of days. I even remember walking along the beachfront with my friend Daryl, and um, it, had ju- it literally had just gone on show house that we were walking while it was on its first show house. And I said to her, I bet you, you know, when I get home, that house is going to be sold. And she kind of just looked at me and was like, are you crazy? But I really believed that was what was going to happen. So um, that was not the case at all. Um, so please learn from my lack of wisdom and never buy a house without selling your old one first. But... We had three offers on our house fall through for various reasons, and it was five months later, and our house still had not sold. 
And honestly, this was the most stressful time for Brendan and I. It was really, really bad. And at the beginning, you know, we were so full of faith and expectation. We were like, God's got this. He cares for us. Woo, God, we're going to see you move. And then as time progressed, it was kind of like shifted to like, wait a minute. Like, where are you, God? Do you not care about us? Like, this is easy for you, surely. Like, this is not a biggie. I'm not asking you to, like, solve war or anything like this. Come on, God, where are you? And it almost progressed from this, like, doubting, questioning to actually, if I'm honest, anger. I remember one day sitting in my car and just lamenting to God and saying, God, I don't understand. Why does this have to be so hard? Why is this happening to us? And I know for a lot of people here, there's a lot worse that you are facing than just not being able to sell a house. Maybe for some of you, you've lost a loved one to sickness or illness, and maybe you're battling with infertility, or you're battling with your finances. You just cannot find a job. You've lost your job. You can't get a new one. And it's becoming increasingly hard for you to trust that God is a God who cares, that hears your prayers, and you've kind of given up on this idea of prayer. I think one of the reasons why we battle so much with unanswered prayer, and I think this is definitely true for me, is that we almost believe as followers of Jesus that we're not going to have struggles and pain in this life. Um, We're surprised when life is hard. We don't expect it. But Scripture clearly shows us that life will be hard even for followers of Jesus. We read in John 16, 33, that in this world we will have tribulation. A lot of our prayers, a lot of the time, or at least I know they are for me, are all about getting rid of our troubles and our sufferings. That's what the focus of our prayers are. And that's not bad. It's really not a bad thing to do. In fact, Jesus encourages us to do this in Luke 11. Um, It says there that we must pray against temptation. And in other versions of this prayer in the Gospels, it goes far as to say, um, what does it say? Um, Deliver us from evil. And that is essentially saying, God, please don't let bad things happen to us. So that is not a bad thing to pray. We should be praying that. But a lot of the time, what we aren't praying is, God, would you give me the grace to face these bad situations, these times of suffering with Christ-like character? And in order for us to do this, we really need to develop within our hearts a theology on suffering. Because suffering is not God's will at all ever, but it is something that we will face this side of Jesus's return. And um, very often there are these amazing moments where we do see God step in and he kind of protects us from these moments of suffering. Um, But this, I I believe, is more of a glimpse of how our future will be. But um, on this side of Jesus's return, there's no doubt that we will experience pain and suffering. Um, The other thing with unanswered prayers, I think that God actually sometimes says no to us in his mercy because he has something better in mind for us. Um, If God is always answering my prayers with this immediate yes, then I'm limiting his involvement in my life to kind of whatever my imagination can think up. But God is a God who is abundantly, has so much more for us. He can imagine so much more for our lives. Um, whatever we can imagine for ourselves, he can do exceedingly more. So like, have you ever prayed a prayer to God? Um, and it seems like God has kind of let it go unanswered. And then a few weeks or maybe months or maybe even longer years pass and you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, thank you, God, that you didn't actually honor that prayer request in the sense that you did not answer it. 
Um, and in a funny turn of events, this is exactly what happened with the sale of our old house. The first three offers that we received, we were actually going to make a loss on the house. So we were going to lose money on the house. Um, so if God had honored that request, we would have lost money. But our fourth and final offer that did go through was actually a lot higher. And so we could make a little bit of money off it. But not only that, our, our new house ended up having huge roofing issues and the roof actually needed to be completely replaced. So if we had moved into that home quickly, like if everything had worked out like we wanted to, we would have been living in a building nightmare in a house with no roof. So often God knows what we need more than we know what we need, or he knows what we don't need. Jesus shows us in scripture that what we truly most need in our lives is relationship with God, to be connected to him. God wants us to have a relationship with him. That is why he sent Jesus to earth to die on the cross for us, for our sins, so that we could be reconnected to God and have a relationship with him. The most powerful thing about prayer is that it builds relationship with God. Prayer is the practice through which we experience and encounter and connect with God, where we talk with him and listen to him. We don't just talk at him and to him. Just like our relationships with family or friends, we build connection with the people around us through conversation. And the point of conversation is not simply just to talk. The point of the conversation is to connect. And that is exactly what our prayer life is like with God. That's what the main point of prayer is about. It's not about getting what we want out of God, but it's about getting God himself. Prayer is a means to an end. It's not the end itself. God is the end. Relationship with God is the end, and prayer is life with God. Consider how different this is from the way the world views prayer. Prayer is often seen simply as a way to get things that we want from God. Tim Keller writes about this excellently in his book on prayer. He says, We believe in God, but our deepest hope and happiness resides in things, how successful we are, or in our social relationships. We therefore pray mainly when our career or finances are in trouble or when some relationship is in social jeopardy. When life is going well, our truest heart treasures appear to be safe, and so it does not occur to us to pray. Seldom or never do we spend sustained amounts of time in prayer, connecting with God and building relationship with him. We know God is there, but we tend to see him as a means to an end through which we get things to make us happy. For most of us, he has not become our happiness. But when God has become our happiness, when we set apart him in our hearts as the most valuable, important thing in our lives, that is really when he becomes all that we need. That is where God wants to be in our hearts, in the number one spot. And so, yes, we do have needs and concerns that we can bring to God, and God does want us to bring these to him. Jesus even teaches us how to do that in Luke 11, verse 3. It says, give us this day our daily bread. That is a prayer to God, asking God for provision, to intervene in our lives, to provide us with what we want and with what we need. Um, But when we pray to God as his children, we can come to him and say, God, I know that you are everything, you are enough, but these are some of the things that I'm really needing in my life right now. And it's almost just this beautiful expression of our dependence and reliance on our Father. And we can bring these things to him. And we can have confidence when we bring our prayers to him because of what Jesus did on the cross. In Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16, it says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, 
let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, and yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And for some of us, maybe in our life, we've prayed sporadically at times, maybe when times are tough or we're faced with really big situations. But I believe this morning that God is inviting us to a relationship that is so much more deeper than that. It's not a month-by-month or a year-by-year or a day-by-day thing, but it's a minute-by-minute relationship with him through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And through our faith in Jesus, we can approach Um, God with confidence because we know that he loves us, that he approves us, that he accepts us, and and that he wants us to approach him with our needs when we find ourselves in a time of need. Can I ask you all to stand with me?